0: They put the hand on a piece of equipment to sense whether it was running smoothly or whether there was a vibration. And this is what I mean. Somehow we need to feel the vibration in the supply chain and feel that the hum has changed.
1: Welcome to Transform Talks, the only podcast that cuts straight through the hype and noise on supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, the CEO and co-founder of the Future Insights Network, Join me as I uncover the stories and delve deeper into the topics that really matter to you. This is episode number 146 with Trevor Miles. Before we get started, if you're interested in finding out how some of the leading companies of today are pairing advanced technologies with proven talent acquisition and retention strategies to build intelligent, agile, and resilient supply chains, be sure to watch this year's edition of The Economist's annual Global Trade Week event, which took place on the 27th to the 30th of June. Head over to www.events.economist.com forward slash global hyphen trade week forward slash for complimentary access to all four days of the event. And if building supply chain resilience through diversity and inclusion is of interest to you, or you want to watch me do my thing on stage, Check out the panels on supplier diversity and acquiring, retaining, and leveraging supply chain and procurement talent. As you know, I'm all about asking the toughest questions, and I had so much fun collaborating with The Economist in doing just that. Now it's Trevor's turn, so let's get started. On this episode of Transform Talks, I'm going to be hearing from thought leader Trevor Miles on how planning leaders need to respond to the Russian war on Ukraine now and why they need to shield operations from a potentially catastrophic series of scenarios that are likely to occur if things continue to escalate. Trevor last joined me on Transform Talks about 18 months ago, a time where most global companies were transitioning from a constant state of firefighting to somewhat new normal conditions. And while the pandemic hampered both demand and supply planning efforts, companies became largely fixated on building robust demand planning capabilities to sense demand fluctuation sooner. But the predicament we're in now commands greater attention on supply planning capabilities. In this episode, Trevor tells me why he thinks the Russian war on Ukraine could spark the next biggest transformation in planning, one that could substantially transform the way planners make decisions in extremely volatile and disruptive environments. Trevor will be drawing on his 25-year experience of working for some of the most cutting-edge planning solutions providers to justify why more and more companies are exploring this new approach to planning and why jumping on this new wave of transformation now could help protect your operations from even the most catastrophic events. So, let's dive right in. Hey, Trevor. Welcome to Transform Talks, and thank you for being here.
0: Thank you very much, Maria, for having me on.
1: So why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience who may not know who you are. Tell us a little bit about who you are and where you've been and where you're now.
0: Yeah, so I've been in the software supply chain space for 30 plus years. I was a management consultant for some time and then somebody worked for me, went and joined this little startup called i2 Technologies and I went and joined i2 in 94. This was a big shift from telling people what they should be doing to actually helping people build software that actually made a difference. But then it was I2, and then uh, Canaxis, SAP, also Solonus, and some time with Blue Crooks in, in Belgium. So a lot of the time spent on helping people understand how supply chain software can help them actually make better decisions. Brilliant so principally in that space
1: well you know you and i the last time we had you on the show was january if i remember correctly so a lot certainly has changed since january of last year not january this year so january 2021 just to make that clear so in your mind i mean i'm I'm asking a really obvious question but what do you think has changed or how has the industry changed in the past year in, in your opinion
0: From a practitioner perspective, they've become much more aware of the need for visibility. And by visibility, I also mean early warning. The need to be able to have the fingers out there, the spidery senses, understanding what's changing, and then being able to translate that into a message that says, well, what's the impact going to be? Now, we've talked about this capability for many, many years. Let's face it, reasonably speaking, we've been operating in a fairly stable environment for a number of years. But now with COVID to start with, and then the war in Ukraine, we've certainly seen big, big shocks, and people don't really know the full extent of their dependencies through the supply chains. Some people, obviously, they know who the tier one suppliers are, procurement can tell them that, but they don't know where the tier two suppliers buy from. Or how they ship materials or whether the content of those materials, you know, are they conflict minerals or are they come in from conflict areas? So all of that has really exacerbated a problem that we knew was there, but the urgency wasn't quite there at the time. But now these two huge shocks have made people much more aware of it. I'd say the difference between COVID. And the war in Ukraine is that COVID, a lot of it was actually about demand. We saw the huge spike initially with people going out, buying toilet papers, etc. But it persisted principally on the demand side for companies that were trying to supply because now people were buying from home or through changing like behaviors Amazon, as opposed to changing behavior, changing assortments. All of this type of stuff was having a big change on the demand side. I'm going to say that the war in Ukraine is going to have a big uh, impact on the supply side. We've heard a lot on the food insecurity to start with, but it's also very obvious from a fuel perspective for Europe. Of course, heating the home is one thing, but having the fuel to run a manufacturing facility is another thing. And a smelter is even another thing because now, you know, uh, the iron ore, etc., uh, making it into steel is, of course, a key component that goes into lots of manufacturing. And then we go even to neon gas, which I believe Russia supplies about 50% or the combination of Ukraine and Russia, 50% of the world's supply that goes into manufacturing chips. So it's at a much more fundamental supply side that we're going to see the impact on the war in Ukraine and the sanctions, of course. Well, I was
1: just going to say also, I, you're still going to have demand fluctuations and issues because with the cost of living crisis, right, people are making decisions about certain things that they're going to buy, non-essential items that they're not going to buy. With the lack of availability of supply, right, people are going to change their, their behaviors and probably maybe even again, we're going to see that bullwhip affect the rationality of hoarding. So do you think that the threat of what's happening with sanctions, with zero COVID policy, with the u- whole Ukrainian situation, the war, is this perhaps the biggest global threat that we've had beyond COVID?
0: Well, yes. I mean, in a discussion with some friends, my opinion is World War Three has started. I agree with you. It hasn't fully reached its true ramifications from bombings, etc. is, I think, still going to escalate. At the risk of getting a little too political on this, uh, but we just see some actors, Vladimir Putin isn't going to be able to accept the result of a war be available.
1: He's backed himself into a corner, which is very scary.
0: Exactly. So I do think we have not seen the worst of it yet. It is going to get worse. And of course, unfortunately, it is the ones with least who are going to feel the impact first and are going to feel the impact most. So food security is indeed a huge problem or insecurity for the world. But from a supply chain perspective, which is the focus of where we are, it's a fairly small part of supply chain. And food insecurity is impacted by the fact that people can't get fuel to run a truck let alone the fact that not being able to ship the grains is one thing. But if you can't get fuel to move that material, that's another thing. If you can't get the spare parts to repair the vehicles, that's another thing. So I think we're going to see still compounding effect of the war in Ukraine. We have not seen it. And then, as you said, inflation and shortages and all of this type of stuff, behavior changes on the demand side.
1: There's a fine line, right, Trevor, between fear mongering or scare and being prepared. When actually being, a, you know, I'm a big student of uh, history and economics. I love all those things, and a lot of these things are building themselves up to be quite dramatic, like you say. I would agree with you. I think we are at World War Three. It's just at the moment, from a Western perspective, an economic war for us. It'll become much, you know, much more. Hopefully, not as significant as we're, you know, we're saying. Hopefully, but it will become so let's talk practical stuff do you think so here's my two questions number 1 do you think that certain business leaders and supply chain leaders are still somewhat living in blissful ignorance of what could potentially happening happen or what's coming down the road and number 2 do you th- therefore are we preparing well enough are we prepared
0: I'll take it back to World War II, (laughs) where Dwight Eisenhower was one who is quoted as having said, "Uh, planning is everything, the plan is nothing. So what he means is, of course, the situation is highly volatile. And what you've got to do is a lot of scenario planning to prepare yourself for, first of all, understanding where the true constraints are but secondarily being able to be flexible, resilient, and understanding, well, what's the third option? Okay, we looked at two options, but now you see suddenly things are slightly different. So what's the third option that's available to us? So certainly this ability to run scenario planning is really important. But as importantly, I think there's a tendency to overreact, which you have mentioned more from an emotional perspective, but I think also from a practical perspective. So a lot of what I've seen written is, oh, what we did in the 80s and 90s was all wrong, you know, lean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is all wrong. I worked with one of the top Gartner, top 25 high-tech electronics companies in the early 2000s. And they were running very lean, completely outsourced manufacturing, hardly making anything that they actually sold. So they're very dependent on a number of suppliers for them and extremely lean from a sales perspective. They only had about two or three days in inventory. Wow. Okay. But the high tech electronics B2B. So they weren't B2C. So, you know, they, but they had a good handle on demand. Except if you really went to talk to the finance people, they had a strategic stock of around about 25% of purchase material. I see. Which was not available or visible to the operational level. Right. If something happened, if a black swan happened, they had alternative supplies, at least for a period of time. So when I see these people talk about, oh, you know, too much lean, all of this type of stuff. I think they're confusing operational effectiveness with, with strategic preparedness.
1: Yeah, business planning and exactly. business preparedness. Okay. Do you, yes. okay, let's talk about planning. Do you think that the planning function got better at scenario planning because of COVID?
0: I think people have become much more aware of that need as well as the need to understand the difference between that strategic planning and the operational planning. You have to be efficient and effective at the operational level. First of all, just to get the material to the customer on time. But you want to do it at at minimum cost. But you don't want to set yourself into a position where you have no flexibility. But people confuse that with the strategic preparedness. That's where you have the flexibility. Alternative suppliers. Many of the automotive suppliers, for example, have for many, many years had a two plus one strategy, which means that for every key component, there are two principal suppliers so that they not, in the short term, they can have some flexibility. If one is finding a difficult deliver, there's somebody else who can deliver. But in a crisis, there's another one, which they know is more expensive, but has more flexibility so that they can now supply to to that as well
1: okay but so going back to eisenhower you can't plan for everything right so are you saying that we need to flex our planning muscles with scenario planning yes we need to constantly be flexing it looking i know i think you're a proponent of also using statistical modeling using a number Mm. of different things to to plan but be prepared that the plan may mean nothing
0: Yeah, exactly. Yes. So now the question is, what is the capability you need when you meet a situation that you've never seen before? How do you predict the unpredictable? Yeah. Exactly. Right. So there are two sides to that. One is knowing sooner. Okay. So this is now where you have the visibility, you have the sensing mechanism where you understand early that something has happened. Now, it might be absolutely meaningless to your actual operations, but it might have a significant impact. And the sooner you know about it, the much more time and flexibility you give yourself to be able to respond to it.
1: So data and insights, data, insight, sensors, availability of information
0: sooner. I refer to it, and I saw some older operators when I was in my 20s, etc., they would feel a piece of equipment they put the hand on the piece of equipment to sense whether it was running smoothly or whether there was a vibration and this is what i mean somehow we need to feel the vibration in the supply chain and feel that the hum has changed oh
1: i like that okay. i, I once we maybe not physically feeling yeah. the vibration of the supply chain but I, I you know becoming attuned to reading the tea leaves to understanding what is actually what exactly. could be happening down the line because I've got to, Something has changed. I've got yes. to tell you, Trevor. I mean, it feels like we're living in a time of, bibli- you know, change of biblical proportions. I'm expecting yes. any, any minute now <clears throat> the plague of locusts, the UFO invasion. Who knows what's going to be thrown at us <laughs> at this point, you know?
0: The,
1: yes. Right? So we need to be prepared for absolutely any eventuality. And that's where you flex your yes. scenario planning muscles because you may not have the right answer for it. But because you've been flexing those muscles, you may have something akin to the answer.
0: Correct. And now we bring it to the second step, which is the response to that. Okay, Because if the plan is nothing, you still have to generate a new plan that reflects the conditions. That So how quickly can you do that? So undoubtedly, technology has improved greatly in that space, in that time. But something that has uh, bothered me for many, many years, because it's where I come from and all of this type of stuff, is that all of our planning capabilities right now give us a single answer, and people call it a one-number plan. And okay, fine, everybody says to me, well, you know, we can only execute one plan, and that's true. But what is missing from all of our planning tools is some mechanism that tells us what's the likelihood of achieving that plan.
1: I see. So we do predictive modeling for things that we know or what we think might happen, but the achieving of the plan is something that's missing.
0: Exactly. So now when we do our scenario planning, there's actually a fourth dimension. The third, three dimensions that everybody looks at is cost, service, and uh, cash or cash flow, okay? So inventory, et cetera. But the uh, fourth one should be likelihood or risk. So it's the inverse of each other. So if we have perfect service cost and cash, it meets all of those lines, but we've only got a 10% likelihood of being able to achieve that plan or 90% risk that we're not going to achieve the plan, we should really look for an alternative.
1: But how do you calculate that? How do you figure that out?
0: So it's not a pure science. So that's where many of us engineers struggle with this type of stuff. But statistics is not a pure science. It's an approximation. Okay. But it's by understanding what the variability is in our supply chain today. And then what we do is we model, we plan because a plan is a model. We plan with that variability. Now, people have been doing this more and more on the demand side because everybody understands demand variability. But the reality is our supply is also variable. And, of course, now we get into the black swans, but I'm talking even operationally our supply is is variable. Machines don't run at the same speed. Uh, Transportation routes from A to B take longer or shorter. Uh, So there's always variability. And, of course, we put buffers in place to try and – smooth out that variability but they don't always work but the key point is when you add up all of this variability at the end what you do is you get a an estimation of the likelihood that you're going to achieve your plan because if you take the easy thing to think about it is if you're driving from a to b and you've got to take in london you've got to take uh, three tubes And you can work out pretty quickly that if you add the likelihood of one tube arriving at the station just as you get off the other tube, the uh, route is going to take you shorter or longer. So you this you can estimate it. So now if you have to be at a meeting and you know it's a crucial meeting, it's not a coffee date, you leave earlier because you want to be there on the date. So that you ensure… a Coffee date with a friend.
1: Yes, so then you ensure the likelihood of it happening.
0: Exactly. So you're taking into uh, consideration your estimation of the variability of your trip. But we don't do that in planning.
1: That's really interesting. You know, uh, yes. uh, I was to say that that is really So I, I think
0: you, this has to be the next
1: step. Do you, do you think that AI and machine learning plays a part in this?
0: Yes. Undoubtedly, we're going to have to use things like Bayesian networks to come up with this type of estimation to give us that understanding. Already, uh, LOP can do things around by telling you where all the variability is and doing some level of estimation then of the plan of the likelihood that you're going to achieve that plan. But to really step forward, we are going to have to start using AI and neural networks type of capabilities to do that estimation.
1: Now, inevitably, the conversation always gears towards technology. And obviously, I'm talking to someone who has worked a very long time in technology. But I also want to address the elephant in the room, which is the mindset, culture, etc. So how likely are supply chain leaders, planners, business leaders going to be to try to implement a new way of working to factor in variability into their planning processes?
0: Well, I'd say that the good news is the great resignation.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, Good news is the first time I've heard of good news and great resignation go together. So tell me more.
0: Yes. (laughs) We do need a a mind shift uh, that takes place. I'm in the older male generation, and I see a lot of people in senior leadership roles who are of my generation we have grown up with a deterministic perspective on the world. And the idea that statistics is a core capability is deemed to be fairly foreign. And the idea that AI and ML is an inherent skill. I mean, I love always telling people that I still remember when Excel was listed as a requirement on a job uh, description.
1: It's not very, very, you know, we're not talking about a a million years ago either. This was, you know, I used to have it on my CV, so.
0: Exactly, right? So, you know, now you wouldn't even think about putting that uh, capability. It's like speaking and writing, okay? So same thing, I think a lot of these, Uh, other capabilities, you know, an inherent knowledge of what AI and ML is able to do and not able to do, as opposed to being a learned skill. This is something that people know inherently. I think this is the skill set that we need to start absorbing in our organizations. And invariably, that does come from the younger generation. So I think the great resignation is the opportunity for us to step forward and give these younger people an opportunity to, first of all, learn that yes, all decisions have their consequences and all decisions come with risks and you never know everything and before you can make decisions, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But at the same time they have an inherent knowledge that they can apply different approaches to being able to solve these issues.
1: And a mindset that is open you know, that's to that's an
0: opinion. Yeah and and, it, and a mindset. Exactly.
1: No, I I, I value yes. that. So we've run out of time, Trevor, but I want to thank you for being here and for sharing this with, with us. I think you're right. I think that there is I love the idea of flexing our muscles in planning. I love the idea of actually looking at variability. Uh, like you say, I do that. If I think I've got an important thing that I have to go to, I calculate what is the variability that I'm going to arrive at this date. So I, I think it's something that should be implemented. So I want to thank you for sharing that with us, and no doubt we'll see you in yeah, yeah. some more of our events and some more of our activity. So thanks for being here, Trevor. Thank you very much, Maria. Thank you. And for those of you listening or watching, we'll catch you at the next one. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today at Transform Talks. I hope you found this valuable. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, comment, and share. I'll see you at the next one.